Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Warren Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, how do I choose a manufacturer? And I'm particularly excited about this topic for two reasons. Number one, I'm not a manufacturing guy. I don't know anything about it. Um, I'm a professional services guy. And most of my clients are in the uh, tech space. And so, um, you know, I do, I do a little bit of work with manufacturing clients, but I'm certainly not going to sit here and tell you I'm any kind of expert in it. I'm also excited because this is an experiment, or I think more likely the start of an evolution of the program. Um, you know, throughout the first 125 episodes or so, our decision content has been positioned as a binary, uh, a binary question. Should I do X, right? Um, should I fire my client? Should I sue my partner? Should I have a business partner? Should I raise angel capital? And so forth. Um, and with this topic, we're going in a different direction because there, there's another kind of choice that we really haven't addressed. And I think will be helpful to you, the listeners, that we do address it in various cases, which is not a choice to act or not act, but rather a choice that is born out of selection. Um, many decisions that we have to make as business people or executives are of a nature where it's not that we're deciding whether to do something or not but we're deciding maybe on the right way to do something or the right path, the right advisor, the right resource, the right company, the right model, all kinds of, of decisions, which again, are not, are not binary. They're simply, um, uh, they're simply choices. And so today's topic is, is how do I choose a manufacturer, uh, which would be the, the sort of the, uh, the maiden voyage of this, new kind of topic. And I, <clears throat> I hope you'll like it as much as I think that we're all going to find it enjoy, uh, enjoyable. And joining us today is Susan Dudas, who's founder of Make to Give LLC, which does business as My Day Screen. For over 20 years, Susan Dudas has served as a business consultant to multinational companies in a variety of industries. Susan designed and facilitated organization effectiveness initiatives for her domestic and international clients. She is also an entrepreneur, having co-founded and operated a mobility transportation company, co-founded two charter schools for low-income students, and founded the My Day Screen Natural Sunscreen brand. Susan is also an avid volunteer and supporter of nonprofit organizations that help foster, foster care youth, homeless youth, and adoptive families. After her husband was diagnosed with skin cancer in 2018 and a search for natural mineral sunscreen was unfulfilled, 
Susan decided to create a mineral sunscreen brand that offers products she would want to wear daily. She launched the My Day Screen brand in October 2020. My Day Screen products are sold online at www.mydayscreen.com and on Amazon. Susan, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. So is is this the, you know, for My Day Screen, was that the first time that you ever had to select a manufacturing company? Uh, actually, it was. It was. Um, I was in manufacturing um, prior to this. And I've also been involved in, in education and consulting. But this was really my first venture into having to seriously select a manufacturer. And, and you know, how much did your background consulting with manufacturers, did, did that help you a lot? Or did you find that there's a big difference of, of advising on the choice, maybe or advising how to work with them versus actually making the choice yourself? It really did help me in the preparation. Having, uh, you know, early on in my career, I was a HR manager in a production plant. It, it was a, a clean plant, um, print circuit board design and assembly. Uh, so I was aware of quality. I was aware of a lot of the compliance. So there were a lot of things that were top of mind as I was going through this process. But that was a very different process than formulating and manufacturing mineral sunscreen. So uh, I would say it helped in terms of framing the kinds of questions that I needed to have and what I needed to be aware of. But it didn't prepare me for the world that I was entering. So um, I'm always interested in, in kind of the language of business because every industry, I think, has their own, if not their own language, certainly their own dialect. Is if, if you're somebody like me that's used to communicating with people like accountants and attorneys, is that different? Is the way that you communicate different from communicating with, say, manufacturers? It's same in many ways. I mean, you're talking about deliverables with service providers. You're talking about your goals, what you want to accomplish. Uh, you're going to have a contract. You're going to have service agreements. You're going to talk about that. You're going to talk about compliance. But it's different in many ways because you're most likely you're talking about a finished product. You're talking about a tangible product. Um, you also are able to negotiate your terms with manufacturers, which maybe not so much so with service providers as with fixed fees. So you, yeah, you're definitely having different conversations about quality, about shipping, about you know the product design. Uh, different, yeah, different conversations. So once you decided that you needed to find a manufacturer for my day screen. What was the first step? How, how did you find or identify potential candidates to become your manufacturer? Yeah, I love this question because uh, it's my natural nature to be, um, you know, to prepare. And that served me well because the, absolutely the first step and any advice I would give to someone that maybe on the, the, the doorstep of, of this process is to prepare. Because the more that you know going into these conversations while you're looking for manufacturers, the better you're going to be positioned. As you think about it, they're going to ask you questions. So why not have those, those questions prepared ahead of time? Gives you an advantage. Uh, and for instance, the very first question that, that I learned I had to ask myself was, do I have a design? And I, I didn't have a, in my case, it was a formulation. So I didn't have a formulation. So if the answer is yes to that, you're going to go down one path. If the answer is no to that, you're going to go down uh, maybe a couple of different paths. So if, 
you know, I can elaborate on that if you'd like me to. Um, well, I want to co- I want to come back to that part, but what I what I like to sort of stand for the segment clarify is, uh, you know, is 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 finding a list of potential manufacturing co- candidates as simple as doing a Google search, or are there specific mm-hmm. places that you went you knew to sort of look to give yourself a leg up on the search? Sure, sure. Uh, I found that uh, you know, obviously, I did the Google search and I Thomas Net, and that got me nowhere. I mean, it gave me names, but my in my particular case, mineral sunscreen is a subset of the sunscreen market. So I was looking for specific manufacturers that manufactured mineral sunscreen, and a lot of them don't. And a lot of beauty manufacturers don't even get into um, sunscreens because it's an over-the-counter drug. So where I found that I got the most mileage was to look within the industry, uh, our industry of indie beauty. Uh, within the beauty community. And there's directories within that. I also talk to people. Now, uh, within the beauty industry, sunscreen included, we don't talk about who we use as manufacturers. You know, we hold our kids close, but we hold our manufacturers names closer. Um, So we just don't discuss this. Uh, However, you can get enough information from your peers in this peer group that, and I did, that, that was able to open some doors and at least get me started. And along the way, I was, you know, much more fruitful to talk within the industry than to just do a, a general online search. So, so that's interesting. I'm going to go off the script a little bit, but I, I think that's a really interesting observation that I would not have expected. Why do you suppose that people keep the identity of their manufacturer such a secret, right? For example, you know, I, I, I wouldn't keep my CPA a secret. I wouldn't keep my lawyer a secret. Right, but but I guess manufacturing is a different animal. So so why do you think that that's such um, uh, important and sensitive information that people are reluctant to reveal it? Well, I can speak to um, I can't speak to you know across industries, but within the beauty industry, you don't see patented um, formulations. Right, we are over the counter drug, FDA regulated. We have to put all of our ingredients out there, right? So we, we publish our ingredients list and it's required, which is a wonderful thing. That transparency is beautiful. So, you know, that takes some of the mystique away of what's in this, right? So, and we, you don't see a lot, like I say, you don't see a lot of patents within the beauty industry. They might patent a process or, or a function within a formulation, but you're not going to see that. So you don't have those protections there around. Oh, what are they using? Because we publish that. So there are protections then about who's going to make it because you're going to see a lot of similarities in formulations. So who's making it that might, you know, change up your raw materials that might do things a little bit different um, process might be a little different. So that's the way I look at it is, is there, there, um, you know, we're an open book in terms of our ingredients. So we do protect our manufacturers because, you know, we don't want some pirating. We don't want some, someone to necessarily mimic our formulation. Interesting. So um, the, the fact that that you're in an FDA regulated sector and the fact that you, you know, your value proposition is using all natural mineral products, do those two features make it more difficult for you to find a manufacturer? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yes, because a lot of people don't want to touch OTC over the counter. Uh, there's a variety of costs involved. There's testing. 
Um, the facilities we look for are FDA regulated. Uh, we want to get current um, good manufacturing process certifications with our manufacturers. So there's a lot of hoops to jump through for manufacturers that um, manufacture over-the-counter products, over-the-counter drugs. Uh, and some of the beauty products, if you're making eyelashes, you know, you necessarily want to go through the, you know, the pain of having to get the FDA, um, you know, auditing and regulating you on a regular basis. And, you know, the natural part is kind of intriguing, too, because in, in a way, and I'm, I'm probably totally off on this, but I almost I almost wonder if it's if it's like kosher rules. Right. I wonder if, if a manufacturer kind of has to have a certain have a certain outlook or a certain culture, if you will, to properly apply manufacturing processes with all natural products or inputs, as opposed to another manufacturer that really just doesn't care. Just give me the formulation. I'll do it. Right. Am I, am I making more of that than it is, or does it take a special kind of manufacturer, a special kind of owner and plant manager to, to do that effectively and kind of stay true to what you want to accomplish? Uh, yes, no, I think you're you're right on point, Mike, especially when you talk about organics, because there is a certification process with organics. Uh, so when you have naturals, you have organics. Uh, now, naturals, not as uh, there's not a certification um, process for for naturals. But you do want to find a manufacturer. Or I wanted to find a manufacturer that embraces that, that they understand it. And maybe from the sourcing standpoint right? You want that manufacturer to source those raw materials that are totally aligned with, with your, your brand and where you're taking it. And they are natural. And I was very, very careful about that. So, you know, of course, we're, you know, we, we've been through, we hope the worst of the coronavirus pandemic. We're in this trans pandemic phase right now. Um, how do you suppose, or I, I don't know if you're still active, maybe finding alternative manufacturers, but even if you're not, I mean, how do you suppose that that the coronavirus has changed the way we even search for manufacturers? Maybe the way, you know, the questions you ask, the due diligence, of course, we're all familiar with the supply chain disruptions that have been prevalent in every place from semiconductors to pork chops, basically. Um, does, does, does that change, do you think, in any way the approach or at least tweak the approach in trying to find the right manufacturer? Anyone that has lived through, I would think that anyone that lived through COVID, in my case, I was trying to launch uh, during COVID, uh, I would think would have a very different perspective, a more careful perspective on preparation when it comes to the manufacturing process. Preparation in terms of, you mentioned supply chain disruption, you know, initially when things were shutting down in March of 2020, uh, everyone was trying to gobble up components. Everyone was trying to, you know, their packaging components. Uh, it was, uh, it felt like almost a free for all of what can you get? You know, when can you get it and how can you secure it? Um, you know, interestingly, we were not only competing against other beauty manufacturers, but we were, we were competing against our own manufacturers who were com uh, completely changing their lines over to manufacture hand sanitizer because mm. that's where the, the margins were. The money was in hand, everyone hand sanitizer. So obviously that only impacted our lead times and our ability to get the attention of our manufacturer, but it also impacted the, you know, the supply chain components 
you know, trying to get bottles and pumps at a time when everyone was trying to, you know, fill bottles with hand sanitizer was uh, a real challenge. So, you know, uh, you know, my takeaway from that is, is I really can expect longer lead times. Uh, it is definitely impacting lead times. I need to be prepared, need to keep track of my inventory, um, especially in my business, because, you know, I, I can't turn on the can't turn on the faucet tomorrow. There's a lot of testing with over the counter drugs it takes a good year to bring um, for me anyway, to bring uh, a product to market because of all the testing involved. So and with the long lead times with the manufacturers that I think just will be there, I really sense will continue to be there post COVID uh, that, um, you know, you have to really be more careful with your planning. And that's that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about what you just described. That all up and down the supply chain, you'd be fighting not just for the the resources for the manufactured product, but the packaging as well. Mm-hmm. In your case, so the dispensing the dispensing packaging. Did you have any recourse? I mean, do do, do manufacturers make any commitment they're going to allocate X amount of production with you, or are you just do they have more or less complete power in terms of where you are in the queue? I think it's also where you fit in the food chain, right? As a small indie startup, uh, you know, they have MOQs, minimum order quantities. Uh, and as a startup, you know, my, my quantities are going to be small relative to, you know, their, their larger customers that you know, can keep their lines going for a long time. So, um, I, you know, it depends on where you are in, in the, like I say, the food chain as to how much negotiating power you have. Uh, I realized that, um, you know, having heated conversations about lead times were getting me nowhere because I suspect that um, every time they picked up the phone, they were having those very similar conversations with their other customers. And, you know, manufacturers were, you know, at at low capacity at some points, they were below 50 percent in terms of um, in in terms of, you know, their um, ability to um, to operate. So it wasn't just their, their lines. I mean, they were cleaning all the time, you know, particular clean industries that are going to be shut down for cleaning. Um, they had protocols they had to have in place. Uh, and to your earlier point, I think some of those protocols will continue on because they're just good manufacturing practices. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, yeah, it was definitely more challenging. And I think those things will continue on. And I, I realized that as a small startup, I didn't have a lot of leverage. So um, you and I were having a, a conversation yesterday and pre- preparing for this one um, in which I, you know, I learned a lot just in having the preliminary. And, and one of the things that, that came up that I'd love you to talk about a little bit is, is the role of the manufacturer may not be, often is not, I guess, just, hey, make me some stuff, right? <laughs> they provide other services. Uh, many of them, it sounds like, provide many other services to help move the product from idea into production. And can you talk about what some of those are and how you've availed yourself of some of those support services? Mm -hmm, Sure. The first question uh, I needed to ask myself and anyone uh, again, uh, you know, uh, about ready to embark upon this journey is, do you have a design? That's critical. So that's going to determine which direction you go. If you already have a design, then you're going to look for a contract manufacturer. If you don't have a design, then you have some questions to ask yourself. Well, do I want a custom design? I want my manufacturer to 
uh, maybe do some R&D, create my design, custom design and make it? Or is it so special that you need to find a specialist to create your design or your formulation and then come back to manufacture, have them make it? Or are you such that you just want to get your product to market? You've got a phenomenal marketing distribution strategy and you'll do private label, meaning I don't need, you know, I don't need to own this design. I just need you to make it, pull some stock design off the shelf, make it for me. I'll put my fabulous um, label or packaging on it and away I go. So up front, it's, you, you really need the design question and the ownership, which is closely coupled to that, is really, really critical and was critical for me. I wanted custom formulation and I went through that process. So I, um, you know, I found a great manufacturer that had a phenomenal R&D uh, team and, uh, you know, we, we worked together to you know, create some great products. Now, since you're an Amazon seller and my wife is an Amazon seller, she's yes. been on the program before. I think it was episode 49. Um, and, and one of the things that is always on your mind, especially with Amazon, I think, is product liability, right? And I understand from my conversations with Cordelia, anything that's FDA regulated, Amazon, you know, some justification watches like a hawk and, and they have a pretty you know, zero, low to zero tolerance policies for mess ups. And again, one of the things you and I were talking about that I hadn't thought before, thought about before, was handling liability. Right? Mm -hmm. If it, you know, if if a product is bad, if a product is bad and then gets released into the wild and then hurts a customer, right? It's gonna it's gonna move back up the supply chain where somebody ultimately has to take responsibility. And the question I'd like to ask you is: uh, Is it is it if something goes wrong, is it going to be somebody like you that's actually ultimately paying the manufacturer or does the manufacturer have responsibility where if, if they do something wrong that, you know, they're the ones that pay the price as opposed to you or is it shared or some entirely different kind of model? So ideally you want to look for shared responsibility. And I have walked away from contracts as, as we discussed yesterday in prep for the show, I have walked away from, from manufacturers that were not willing to look at a shared responsibility. Um, and those things that they control, they should, I, you know, believe they should have responsibility for if they, you know, use the wrong ingredients or they use the wrong processes, there needs to be and they're out of compliance, there needs to be some liability culpability and the risk falls on them. If I uh, take ownership of the product and I, I um, mishandle it, um, use conditions, place it in conditions that are going to affect its uh, its effectiveness, then I should have a liability. So I I look for shared responsibility. And I'm willing to spend the the money with, for attorneys to make sure that you know we get that right. Um, and as I said, we I have walked away from very much one sided risk um, contracts in, you know, the, where the burden is on me and not on, not on that manufacturer. Like it, it was so important because something's going to happen. There's going to be some type of claim. It's going to happen. Uh, so you uh, really need to negotiate that up front before you um, become, you know, a partnered or married to a manufacturer. So at, at the start of our conversation, you, you emphasize pretty heavily the need to be prepared. Um, what does that look like? How do you prepare for a conversation with a manufacturer, particularly for the first one? 
Right. Yeah, it, it's, I think as easy as in anticipating uh, what uh, you think they're going to ask you. So they're going to ask you, uh, you know, do you have the design? I went over that. They're going to ask you, uh, what capabilities does this design require? You need to know that, right? Do you need extruding? Do you need molding? Do you need, uh, you know, clean manufacturing? If for printed circuit board designer, if you're manufacturing food, uh, is it stamping? Is it an assembly line? Is it batch? So you need to know about you know, you need to know that, uh, what those capabilities are that are required. Um, and then you need to know what else you want them to do for you. You know, one of your questions before is, you know, they do a, a rate, they can, many manufacturers can offer an array of functions, filling, labeling, uh, packaging, testing, if required testing. Uh, some even do full fulfillment. Some will do a full turnkey. I mean, they'll manufacture, they'll, um, offer marketing services and design your packaging for you. I'm not sure I'd recommend that. That may not be their core business, but uh, yeah. So uh, there's, there's a knowing what you need from the manufacturer is really key. The other thing, a couple other things that are really important is know what your costs are. You know, what are your target costs? Go into that conversation, knowing what's your retail costs, what margins you need to get. And then you're talking to them about, you know, that per unit target cost. That's that's going to weed out some manufacturers right there. Uh, quantities, your MOQs, that's going to weed out some manufacturers. If their MOQ, if you're a startup and their MOQ is maybe a hundred thousand, and you're like, no, I, I can't, I can't order a hundred thousand for my initial order. Well, then you need to you need to walk somewhere else. Um, and then of course you want to know about lead times. Given your particular design, you're probably how long is it going to take not only for that first order. But how's it, how long is it going to take for successive orders so that you can plan for your inventory so that you're not out of stock at a very important critical time, maybe in your in your um, in the in the year, the selling cycle. And then the contract, you know, knowing what you need to have in the contract. Is it ownership? Is it liability? You know, the compliance. So. Um... <clears throat> So that's good. So let's let's say we've identified some manufacturers. We've done our homework. Who do you contact? Is it is it a plant manager? Is it the owner? You know, what's the title of the job function of the person you need to talk to that can that can have that conversation and you know represent the manufacturer to you, so that you don't have to have the same conversation three or four times. I think it's, uh, it depends on the size of the manufacturer. My experience has been sales reps, account managers typically are your, your initial contact. That's typically who you're going to have that rapport with. Uh, most manufacturers and the sides I've dealt with have had you know that uh, function within the organization. So you're dealing with the sales organization and account manager function. Um, but I wouldn't stop there um, as you move through. That's going to be your initial, but... As you move through the relationship and you're vetting and you're, you're narrowing down your list, you really want to start having additional conversations up, you know, up the hierarchy. And, um, and here's why. Uh, you, as I mentioned before, you're going to have problems. You're going to run into problems, whether they're external problems or internal manufacturing problems. And you really don't want that first conversation that you're having of the escalated conversation you don't really want that first conversation with that director of engineering or director of operations to be a heated discussion. You, you want to have some, 
some uh, relationship, some, some relationship coins in the bank um, so that if you're negotiating with them, it's, it's not your first, you know, first time discussion. So as you then move into that process, what are you, what are you looking for from how, I guess, how the manufacturers present themselves? I mean, how, how are you vetting them then to make sure that they can do what they say that they can do? Yeah. Well, I use a spreadsheet. So I list, you know, my options and I list, uh, you know, along the, you know, along the left-hand side and I list my criterion across the top and I just start, you know, keeping track, you know, whether it's a rating number or a check mark, I've done both, but I keep my spreadsheet. And as I talk to a manufacturer and move through the process, um, you know, I'm seeing how many checks I have or how their score is. And then I'm, you know, that's how I really vet and move through. And there's, you know, obviously you can prioritize those if their costs are too high er, off the list, uh, or if their quantities are, you know, their threshold quantities are too high er, off the list. Um, so it's, I think it's keeping that spreadsheet, continuing those conversations. Um, as I said, the contract, that was, uh, that was key for me. I actually kind of vetted down to, um, you know, uh, a few on, on a couple of occasions and, and I was surprised and sad that I had to remove, you know, one from the list. Do you, uh, do you ever have a chance, an opportunity to talk to some of the manufacturers, other customers, get a get kind of a testimony or a review? I have not, not, okay. not in my industry. We just don't really talk about the manufacturers. Okay. Maybe I'm in the wrong circles. Maybe I got to get in better circles, but, um, yeah, no, I, uh, oh, in terms of references, I, I have, um, but that's very, very, very few um, because they keep their customers very, very close. Right. Um, in fact, there's, you know, uh, very rarely would they release a, a customer name. Maybe at a, a, a trade show or something, I might have a little bit of exposure to that, but typically, and it's a good manufacturer that does not release their customers' names. They're very careful about that. And in your process, did you did you make any site visits? Did you actually go there and walk the floor? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's, uh, that's a key criterion for me. Um, and I've done it twice, uh, typically two visits for the ones that are, you know, I'm con- seriously considering. Uh, two visits because the first visit, your, your, your eyes are wide open. It's a good, good exchange. They're on their best behavior. After that, you're going to have a lot of questions. So you go back and you get those questions answered and you definitely see things differently. Hopefully not too differently, but it's, it's a deeper dive that second time. I would clearly recommend that. And when you walk the floor, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you're looking for? Well, I'm looking for quality. I'm asking about maintenance um, of their equipment. I'm asking about their testing procedures. I'd love to, I love seeing their testing room. Uh, now, sometimes they leave you out of there if they have, you know, if anything that's, um, you know, proprietary going on. But typically, they don't, their customers' names are not visible. But I love going into their labs and their testing facilities to see that. Um, I'm looking for, you know, our safety. Safety, not only employee safety precautions, but product safety. You know, are people wearing nets? Um, you know, are their shoes covered? 
uh, I, you know, what kind of environment does that look like? Um, so yeah, eyes wide open. And, and am I being introduced to people, to different people in the different organizations, touch points that I would have if I was a customer of them? Now, over the, over the course of your, of your um, selection process, did you, did you find yourself developing a relationship with the manufacturer's management? You know, chance to really talk with them and see how much they really seem to care about you or your idea. Did, did that ever factor into your decision or no? I, yes, it did. Uh, it was important for me to meet the R&D manager because we were looking at custom manufacturing. I wasn't pulling something, a stock a formulation off the shelf. I wanted something custom. I wanted to be right there. I wanted to show them what I, you know, samples of what I was looking for. And I wanted them to see it. I wanted them to try it. I wanted, you know, touch it, put it on. I tell them what I liked about it. Didn't. That was the R&D director. That was really important because um, he was overseeing the, the customization, the formulation process. Um, so that was critical. I did not meet, uh, and I have a regret that I didn't meet the sales executive, the sales director, because we had had some conversations uh, during COVID that were not always pleasant uh, with lead times and such. Uh, but, uh, and this is something I would recommend to your audience. Um, as I mentioned before, you really don't want that first uh, conversation to be that heated conversation. So the extent that on your visits or even host visit that you can make contact with, you know, the head of sales or head of account management, um, other leaders, I would recommend that build some reports. You have a little bit of, um, it, it could be helpful in your negotiations. So in your particular search, how long did it, did it take you to find a manufacturer from, from the time you said, hey, I need to find a manufacturer to the time when you said, okay, I've got one and they're going to be my, my primary source? Right. About six months. Okay. And do you think that's typical? Do you think that it takes most people that amount of time in your experience? You know, it, it, I think it, <laughs> the yeah. question depends, right? Um, I hate to say that, but it really does depend on the complexity of your product. Uh, depends on the industry that you're in, depends on the amount of labor you put into the search. If this is, uh, if you still got your day job and you can only do this at certain hours, it, it might prolong your search. But I think that's probably a good, good standard. Now, if you're, and also it depends if you're, if you're going to private label, just pull a stock item off the shelf or design off the shelf and there, you know, you're going to label that yourself. That's going to be very quick, rather quick process. Most of that time is going to be around, you know, getting your packaging ready and, um, you know, making sure that your contract's in place. And, and in your search, how many manufacturers did you talk to before finally settling on one? Oh, wow. At least 20. Really? 20? Oh, my gosh. Yes. At least 20. Yes. And just, just I assume, just calling them up or emailing them and having initial conversations and then. Yes. You know, I'm sure you didn't visit all 20. You probably narrowed no, that. No, I did not. Yeah. That first call, because I knew what to ask, you know, do you manufacture mineral sunscreen? Nope. Sorry. We don't do over this, over, you know, over the counter drugs or no, uh, we don't do mineral. We'll do chemical, uh, which is very different. Um, yeah. You know, so I was able to eliminate, you know, maybe 40%. Um, just with that, those first two questions. And then after that, 
you know, we get into the MLQs and locations and lead times. And um, in my industry, there's the, the demand is greater than the supply of manufacturers. So, um, you know, they're, they're, um, there's long lead times. We're talking with Susan Dudas, founder of Make to Give LLC, which is also known as My Day Screen. And the topic is, how do I choose a manufacturer? Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious also, did you only consider domestic manufacturers or were, were you inclined to explore perhaps foreign manufacturing? Yeah, I love that question. I was only looking for domestic, not only the made in America, but just from a very practical, I mean, that was primarily why I wanted the products made in America. Uh, but also, you know, it's, uh, you know, think about the time zone, that was a, very much a consideration for me, um, as well as, you know, you think you take possession of product, you've got the whole shipping, uh, you know, do, do they store it then, or do they bring it back here, then I have to find storage over here. It was uh, actually something I didn't put a lot of thought into international, but I'm aware that there would be a lot of considerations if you're considering that. Fortunately, I was able to find a you know, great manufacturer that uh, you know, we could arrive on a lot of the terms within the contract and, and I've had you know, great success with them. So um, do you have or have you given thought to having backup manufacturers in, in case the first one, for whatever reason, isn't able to fulfill an order, you get shoved to the back of the queue again because you're the you're the small fry in the in the pile. Um, have you thought about, or maybe do you even have a backup manufacturer? And if so, how many do you have, and what what do those what do those agreements look like? Right, that, I would say just in general, that's really wonderful, and that's where the spreadsheet helps out. You know, as you're nail, you know, as you're narrowing down your choices, you're you're looking at those that meet your criteria, most of your criteria, they could be considered a backup. I think that's critically important uh, because you don't want to be caught with, um, you know, not having inventory or, or if they have a problem, you know, maybe they've got some compliance issues that come up or that wasn't my case, but, you know, if, if they have some audit issues or something comes up, you need a backup. You really don't want to keep your, your customers hanging uh, or your employees hanging as well. So in my case, um, my situation is such, I am looking for another manufacturer for a very specific process and product because my current manufacturer does not manufacture that particular, does not use that particular process. So, and I don't, I don't have a good sense from the industry uh, stat on this, but you know, you're not going to find a manufacturer necessarily. It's going to be able to do all of your line, current and, and future line, there might be some processes that they're not able to do. So that's the situation I am. So I am looking for another manufacturer. Uh, and it is very, very challenging. And quite honestly, I think it's because of the demand supply. It's hard to get their attention, hard to get them to reply back on the phone. Uh, so it's, um, it is a challenge. And, and, you know, finding the first manufacturer is hard enough. I'm guessing the second manufacturer where you're basically saying, hey, I'm, I basically just need you on standby, but I'm not necessarily sending you a lot of business right now. Not as exciting a conversation from their perspective, if we're honest about it. That's very true. Very true. Or this other product that I want to manufacture, maybe the, 
you know, it's not going to have the the yield, um, the volume that would be exciting. So yeah, absolutely to your point. Yes. Um, Susan, this has been a great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time and we're running out of time. Um, if, 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 if somebody in our audience wants to ask you a question that we didn't discuss, or maybe wants to go deeper into something that we did, would you mind, would you be willing to kind of, you know, take their question? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, I'd absolutely love to help. Uh, anybody that's been through this journey knows it's it's not an easy one. So I'd like to make it easier for, for someone else. Uh, I can be reached at Dudas, D-U-D-A-S, at mydayscreen, S-C-R-E-E-N.com. That's Dudas at mydayscreen.com. Well, thank you, Susan. That's going to wrap it up well, thank for you, this Mike. program. I'd like to thank Susan Dudas so much for sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your, with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Warren Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 